today on City Cash Chicago. The team is all together after a long, restful break, and we're looking back on some key stories from the week, including CPS continues to struggle with its data trackers, the Cook County opioid crisis sets record numbers, and Chicago will soon have its first ever poet laureate. We're talking about all that and more with lead producer Kerry Shepard and producer Simone Alisea. It's Friday, January 6th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. It's another Friday, so we're breaking down some key stories from the week. Helping me do that is lead producer Kerry Shepard and producer Simone Alisea, who I'm going to pass over the the host chair uh, this morning. How y'all feeling today? Fine. Hey, happy new year. Feeling good. Happy new year. I mean, we've already talked like multiple times this week, but happy new year on mic. Happy New Year to our listeners. Yeah, Happy New Year to that Simone and I have not spoken to yet, but (laughs) certainly Jacoby, you have. But still, Happy New Year! Welcome to 2023. (laughs) It's going to be a big year in Chicago. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be a great year. There, there is definitely no one I would rather uh, look at a Chicago news with in this first week of the year than uh, you, Jacoby, and you, Carrie. But before we get to the news, I am really curious to know. What was your favorite thing that you did over the holiday? My holiday was very, very low key, so I, I kind of need to live vicariously. Jacoby, what was your favorite thing you did uh, over the holiday? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be selfish with this. Uh, in addition to getting a lot of rest, most days I've taken off all of 2022. I got some pretty dope gifts uh, for my people uh, over the holiday <laughs> break. Uh, my what mom got me a nice bag. Uh, friends got me. Um, like cool books and um my my homie Darius got me this great um kind of travel bag that's got my name on it and a, and a really cool robe Ooh. um uh yeah Ooh. Um, and, and then my homie got me this this like collection of goofy movie toys because they know how much I love the goofy what? movie and so they went on a- eBay and just got apparently like this Burger King collection it was it was very like 12 15 bucks but there are all these toys that came out when the goofy movie came out which is my favorite animated movie of all time and oh, so I just got some really special literally gifts. the character goofy not like a goofy yes, movie yes like <laughs> the straight goofy, the goofy you, and yeah. Atlanta did a whole wow. like spoof documentary about it being the blackest movie Disney ever made which I always thought as a kid and so somebody just paying attention enough to give me those little uh, toys was was really sweet. So, you know, the I, I'm grateful for for the gifts my people got. I thought I gave some some good ones too, but my my favorite thing was was receiving. I'm not gonna lie. Carrie, what was your favorite thing that you did uh, over the holiday break? Well, I was just looking at my phone calendar and noticed I had all these plans, which um, is rare. I had you know got drinks with friends, um, went to lunch on New Year's Eve in the West Loop at 3 p.m. Let me tell you, that is the way to go. You go at 3 p.m., you get out of there, you're home (laughs) by like 6 o'clock. It's beautiful. And it was a nice day, so we got to walk a lot. I think my favorite thing is um, I went back home to see my family and then also had a really lovely lunch with my friends, my closest friends with whom I've been friends like 30 years we just in in our hometown and it was wonderful and it was great to sit there and catch up as adults because there's usually like kids running around and it was just it just felt really rejuvenating um to all be together again after 
years of not being able to do that, we felt like, wow, we get to sit close to each other and share the same air. And so um, that was definitely a highlight. Nice. That's really sweet. I'm really glad you got to do that. Um, and really glad that you guys got some stuff, got some rest. That's what the holiday I got good gifts and gave terrible all about. gifts. I just want to say for the record. <laughs> <laughs> you did not give terrible gifts, Carrie. As someone who received a gift from you, you did not um, give terrible gifts. Simone, one of them didn't come till the 30th. Another never showed up. So I'm going to go ahead and say my gift giving was a little flawed this year. It's okay. It's a new year. There's always time in 2023 <laughs> to get it right. Uh, the <laughs> the other thing we're looking at here in this first week of 2023, uh, Chicago did not take a break no. in terms of news. It was very busy. Uh, and so we're going to dive into some of these stories. Uh, Jacoby, um, what was that uh, top story for you as we uh, as we come back into this year? So for me this year, I went back to class as a as a teacher and had to start. And so I was thinking a lot about the the kind of back to school mentality and CPS students are going to go back to school on Monday. But it feels like deja vu because last year at this time we were talking about the kind of flaw in tracking data, uh, particularly around CPS and vaccinations and, and, and COVID infections. And now as we're coming back to school, there are more questions about CPS's flawed data. Uh, and, and it's kind of two stories in one here. One being that as we're facing another COVID subvariant, CPS is not doing a great job if a job at all, of tracking uh, how many students are getting the booster shots. Uh, and according to CPS, they say they only track data that, you know, is self-reported or that a vaccination that happened on school property or at a school event. But obviously that leaves a wide range of, uh, you know, just kind of confusion of how many students in CPS are actually up to date on vaccinations. Uh, and in that, we realize that the disparity between black and brown schools and more affluent schools in the CPS system, uh, it remains and the gap is even widening with, with some schools only having, you know, somewhere around a, a, a 20 or even sub 20 percent vaccination rate. And so, uh, you know, as we're continuing to try to, you know, push back the pandemic and make sure students are safe, um, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's maybe a huge oversight to not know at a certain point, you know, where students are along in the process. Uh, and in addition to that, as students are, are still recovering from multiple years of online learning and being out of the classroom, we know one of the biggest issues is engaging students, making sure students are coming back to class, that they're attending class. And the CPS Inspector General's annual report kind of paints a bleak picture about how CPS is doing in terms of tracking um pretty much where students are. And so if students are uh, who are truant, who are missing a lot of days of school, they're incorrectly being classified as either dropping out of school or transferring, uh, which means CPS isn't really keeping track of where students are. And, and the OIG says that uh, CPS estimates that 100,000 students uh, are sort of in the process of needing to be re-engaged to find out, you know, are they coming back to school? Are, are they officially out of school? You know, what do they need to catch up in school? Uh, and so to know that the data, uh, though it was gathered pre-pandemic, uh, the, the inspector general mean, says that that means it's probably worse now that, that CPS isn't doing a great job um, of keeping those classifications very clear. Uh, to CPS's point, they say they have uh, spoken with schools uh, 
giving them the correct guidelines on how to correctly classify students uh, who are absent a lot of days versus completely saying they, they've dropped out or that they you know have transferred schools. But right now, again, on both counts, whether it's vaccinations or whether it's absentee students, CPS is having a hard time making that data uh, clear and available uh, to the public. Yeah, I think we've covered on the show a few a few different instances of of sort of CPS data tracking. We've got kind of two different stories here. One is a sort of ongoing COVID story that we've been following pretty closely. Um, as as students return to school on Monday, you know, I think that's that's part of that question as well. This is actually a pretty perennial issue with CPS because we're talking about tracking, especially with truancy, we're talking about the fourth largest school district in the country, finding a way to track, you know, hundreds of thousands of students is tough. I mean, it is. I'm not saying absolve CPS, especially in the sense of the vaccinations, because I think that they said they, you know, haven't been tracking tracking boosters, which, again, might be tough because there are, you know, privacy issues involved with that. But, you know, This has long been an issue in CPS about the truancy issue of like, well, how, you know, you they literally would, I think, send 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 people to these students addresses and homes. But like that's all been totally (laughs) blown up during the pandemic when people moved people, you know, so it's yeah, it's a I'm it's a it's a tough it's a it's both sides of it are very tough. In some ways, in both cases, not having correct data uh, and not having accurate data can sometimes work to CPS's benefit in the sense that, you know, they, there are there can be penalties for having high absentee rates in your school. Um, and so this might not just be a, you know, we're doing a bad job at this. It, it could potentially be, you know, there, there's an intentionality and in maybe not shoring up this system. Carrie, your top story is a little bit different, uh, building on. Um, something that uh, was happening, uh, you know, pretty much in the entire second half of 2022, uh, the the migrant crisis and the busing of migrants to Chicago uh, from Texas. Um, what's the latest on that that we should be uh, talking about? Well, just this week, um, we saw that, you know, this could both be a top story. And I think, um, sadly, at this point in its um, in its its timeline. It's a little bit of an underreported one as well. But this resurfaced this week because the the governor of Colorado, Governor Polis, um, they Politico reported this earlier this week that he was sending migrants from Colorado to Chicago and New York, which was, you know, criticized by both Mayor Lori Lightfoot and then New York's Mayor Eric Adams. But Polis said, look, and the you know the the sort of next question or, you know, I, I know I said it, is like, but wait, isn't he a Democrat? Because we've seen with Abbott and other Republican um, governors. Abbott, the that, governor of Texas. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That, you know, Texas has been sending these people to Democratic led states. And so it was like, wait, why is Polis doing this? Polis says that he is really this is not about shipping anyone away, which I hate that we talk about these human beings as if they're parcels. But, you know, um, but this is that many of these people, they were trying to get to New York and Chicago. So he's helping them get there. Now, the, the big issue for here for us in Chicago is like providing resources to I think these nearly at this point, 4000 migrants, I think is what Mary Lightfoot said. Right. Just Thursday. Uh, Laura Rodriguez Presa from Chicago Tribune, she was covering a press conference of some community members in Woodlawn who were saying, 
that, you know, pushing back against the mayor's plan to move some of these migrants to create a shelter in a closed school in Woodlawn, they were saying, we don't want them here. (laughs) And, you know, that's that's tough. Like they said, we weren't we weren't consulted, which is something probably most neighborhoods can attest to that they're not often consulted by the city and their, you know, policymakers. But you know, there isn't just one big space for all these people, thousands of people coming in and they need, you know, they need housing. They need they need shelter. They need food. They need care. They need resources. Um, I think it's our job as humans to help provide it if we can. And I guess this was the mayor's solution, which got pushed back from Woodlawn residents. Not just Woodlawn residents, but also Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor of the 20th Ward, uh, mm-hmm. who represents that neighborhood. Um, it's a you know, I think that's a really, really tough uh, question because there are um, on one level legitimate concerns of, you know, why put a high needs population in a neighborhood that already that is also high needs. Right. There is that question of would you have done this to a wealthy white neighborhood on the north well, side? Just to push back a little. That wasn't all they said. They also said it wasn't just in a white neighborhood. The speaker that Laura captured said, would you move Haitians to Little Village? Like they played very much into the very true reality of the segregation of our city in that, you know, you wouldn't move black people to the north side. You wouldn't move black people to Little Village. You would, you know, playing into this idea that we are factioned by our race in this city. Little Village is for Mexicans and Latinos and these migrants, we should be clear, not for Mexico. But yeah, I just wanted to say it wasn't just an issue of like South versus North. It was they they were pushing back. They like this person literally said, "Move them to Little Village." Right. Well, <laughs> so that's like, what I was going to say. So that said, the problem is, the problem comes is when you start using wording like move those people with their people in Little Village, and that's not just a semantic issue. That's not just an issue of words being used. Like that is a really deep seated. Um, unwelcoming (laughs) way to talk about the problem at hand, which is we've got 4,000 people that we need to house, feed, and clothe um, that the city ostensibly is trying to welcome uh, to the best of its ability, right, on some level, Um, and something has to happen. Every week, we like to look at a few stories that maybe have fallen under people's radar. Uh, Carrie, uh, this one definitely fell under my radar. I did not know this was going on. Can you tell us about what we might be seeing in our utilities in the near future? What's happening? Yeah, sure, Simone. Sometimes I think utilities, that makes our eyes glaze over a little bit. And then we see our bill and we're like, wait, why didn't anyone tell me about this? (laughs) We're like, we did tell you about this. Um, NICOR Gas, who provides um, gas for the suburbs and parts of, you know, northern and southern Cook County, have asked for a rate hike increase uh, to help sort of, I think, the most layperson way to say it would be like modernize their system, right? Um, And if this is approved by the Illinois Commerce Commission, this could mean uh, almost a hike of $10 a month, which... Is a lot, right? Yeah. So People's Gas, just to be clear on names here, People's Gas is where we in Chicago proper get our gas. But they have also, um, they also have hinted that they would be filing for a rate hike increase as well. I think the 
Important thing to note on this is it is, no pun intended, one of those utility news stories that does affect each of us in mm-hmm. terms of affecting our wallet. Sometimes inflation, I I think, is this big term that we think is like, well, who cares? Who cares? Oh, wait, the groceries. Oh, my gosh. Eggs are how much? Oh, my gosh. My bill is how much? Personally speaking, start of a new year. Um, I live in a condo building and we had to raise our monthly assessments because everything costs more. Condo insurance costs more. Um, our electric bill costs more, you know, our water costs more, trash costs more. So it's like you have to keep hiking those up and, you know, that's that affects your bottom line, right? And gas is, as we know, as we're in the middle of winter, uh, so essential, obviously, that I know for me, the colder it gets, I'm like hiking up the hiking up the heat. But then I'm like oof, looking at my gas bill and thinking of ten dollars more a month. I mean, that's like it's a thousand bucks a year. That could really. I mean, really and this would be the this would be the second rate increase back in November 2021. Nicor got a 240 million dollar rate increase, which yeah. already was about four dollars per month. Uh, to the to the average individual and for people who have people's gas their last rate increase came in 2014 which was distributed over 10 years and so most of us been paying like a extra 15 dollars surcharge on top of our bill for people's gas last pipeline and so then basically ending that decade agreement and starting uh you know a potential new rate increase would i mean it wouldn't be too shocking i guess yeah you know, Carrie, to your point about like climate change in the winter and it's cold and you're using more gas, I am also really curious because the other thing in in sort of climate is there now there's a push to sort of have fewer gas appliances to not be using right, gas right. in your homes uh, in an indoor setting. I will be curious to see if, you know, if we do see rate hikes, will we see an even greater push then to be like, well, hey, why why do you need a gas stove? Why not try induction? Why not try X, Y, Z? Jacoby, what was your underhype story this week? A story that kind of, you know, hit me when I read it this week was about uh, the Cook County Medical Examiner Office saying that Cook County is likely to exceed 2,000 deaths from opioid overdose. Uh, And we've covered this story in a few different ways from the resources the city is providing um, to trying to increase funding um, for for treatment options for people in the city. but we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, like homicides in Cook County and in Chicago. Uh, but this death toll is uh, kind of is is is, uh, is higher than that and, and doesn't nearly get the same amount of attention. Um, and, and right now we're seeing across the country people trying to deal with the rising uh, in fentanyl uh, overdoses. And, and you're seeing that pop up in Chicago more and more. Um, and I think this is important to pay attention to, not simply because the high number, but Illinois is set to receive about $760 million from a settlement um, where, you know, some of the biggest drug manufacturers and distributors in the country had to pay out. They, they, they actually might get more money from the, the lawsuits against CVS and Walgreens and Walmart. Uh, and so the question really is, how are we going to use this money? Um, I believe about 55 percent of that money will get decided by the governor. Uh, Twenty percent and 25 or 25 percent will go to the state. Twenty percent will flow down to the counties. Um, And so while we're dealing with these record number of deaths, it's really important for us to ask, well, how are we going to make use 
of this settlement money? Are we going to increase treatment facilities? Are we going to provide Narcan to places beyond, you know, the library programs that we've discussed? Um, you know, how are we going to provide immediate response services for people uh, who are dealing with uh, overdoses or have people in their family struggling with addiction? Um, and so it, it doesn't have to be as much of a bleak and really sad story as this is, um, you know, there is an opportunity right now for us to make some measure of impact on this crisis that's happening in our city. Um, and, and so my hope is that that we use this this money wisely. Every week, we like to leave the listeners not on a dark note. <laughs> we like to leave the listeners with some good news. Can I get my singers here to actually sing? Some good news. To get, to get us you through, through the weekend, the year, everything. Good news all day, every day. The hour. The, the hour. <laughs> this minute that you're listening to us right now. The next 15 minutes. <laughs> Jacoby, uh, what was some good news you want to share with the people today? My good news this week is the announcement that Chicago will soon have its very first Poet Laureate. Uh, it looks like Mayor Lori Lightfoot is really trying to pack it in uh, <laughs> before we get to the election with as much like good grace and doozy as possible. But this there, is what I'm going to have to go ahead and give There's a lot of arts funding them. happening lately. You, it's kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, it's seeping I, in right? there, yeah. It just makes sense for Chicago. They say that this person uh, will be an active participant in creating programs and being an ambassador for for the city's arts programs, for bringing creativity to the communities. But also they'll serve a two year term and be given a fifty thousand dollar grant. Uh, and we've talked a lot about Chicago's poetry scene in some form or fashion. Um, I've had the great uh, fortune to work with some amazing poets. Uh, you can nominate some of your favorite local poets online until January 18th. Mm. They got to be 21, at least 21 and live in the city of Chicago and have some published works over the last three years. I was shocked that Chicago didn't already have one. I was really, really surprised yeah, that, was that this wasn't already yeah. a thing. Um, Me too. So I think I... I'm certainly looking forward to it, looking forward to also looking forward to the poetry, of course, that will come out of this. Um, I think we could all mm -hmm. use a little more poetry in our day to day, personally. That's how I feel. We could. <laughs> I think we could all use a little more, a lot more arts funding and money to creators and creatives and artists who are the soul of our city. For real. Carrie, what was your good news this week? Mine isn't any sort of specific good news. It's a little mix of hope and a little mix of advice. I'm fudging a little on the assignment. So the new year is always like new resolutions. We want to, you know, we want to live healthier lifestyles, right? Emotionally healthy, self-care, everything. Um, this time of year, as a as a certifiable former gym rat, so I went to the gym all the time before the pandemic, um, embrace the new gym goers that start at the yes. top of the year. You know, yes. they're often people who make snide remarks because you can't get a you can't get a locker. The classes are overwhelmed, mm -hmm. and don't do that. Everybody deserves a chance and a right to be healthy and to take care of themselves in whatever way that looks like. So embrace them and welcome them. The Park District has, they offer um, free exercise classes and, and nutrition a programs lot of across classes, the city. By the way, it is a shocking lot of classes. how many classes the Park District offers. 
they do. They do. And there are nutrition programs. Um, a lot of nonprofits do the same thing. And this is this whatever healthier looks like to you, you know, but give mm-hmm. make make space for those people, make space for everyone who's trying to take care of themselves. Um, as my mom always says, we're nothing without our health. Like, you, you know, like it is a great gift to be able to move our bodies. And so make sure you don't you don't give snide remarks to the to the gym newbies and welcome them in. I love that advice. That is really sweet. I think that's really good advice. And I think in general, also just good. Don't don't begrudge anyone their their attempts to improve themselves. I'm with that. Uh, Simone, what is your some good news? My good news this week is, uh, so as I alluded to a little bit earlier, I uh, got COVID over the holiday and was in quarantine for several days whoa, whoa, in my mother's whoa. house. Um, that's not the good news. The good news is uh, just the sort of gratitude I feel for now being healthy, fully recovered, uh, didn't, you know, didn't put too much of a damper on my life overall. Um, And I know everyone had a lot of trouble traveling over the holidays. I had the best luck that literally anyone has ever had traveling over the holidays. Just grateful for the good things that did happen over the holiday break. That's my good news. I just want to give a, another thank you uh, to lead producer Carrie Shepard for joining us today. Producer Simone Alicia for walking us through uh, our Friday look back. I want to thank our producer Meg Dalton, who you don't hear from, but she is in the back making all of this work. Uh, I want to thank uh, our newsletter writer, Sydney Madden, who all of the stories you heard today, at some point this week, Sydney had to read it and she sent it to me to make sure that I read it. Uh, and so without Sydney, City Cash Chicago does not move. Uh, City Cash Chicago also doesn't work without the people who make our music. All them little stingers you heard today, that theme music, them horns still hitting almost two years later. Uh, and that's because my main man, Sam Thousand, the homies, all the kimonos, and the great Mark Greenberg of the Mayfair Workshop. Thank y'all for everything y'all have given us here at City Cash Chicago, just to make the, the sound even more smooth. Uh, of course. Uh, City Cash Chicago is not what it is without the people who listen and read every single day, every single week. Uh, it means a lot to us. 2023 is going to be a great year. Uh, let us know what you think we should talk about this year. Send us a message at 773-780-0246. What's the Chicago topic you want City Cash to cover? Uh, and we're going to do our best to do it. Uh, we'll talk to you on Monday. Peace. Uh, join us next week uh, when we will be sitting down with Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Benny the Bull. <laughs> <laughs> See you then. <laughs> that's that's not happening. That's for the record. not happening. <laughs>